Hi, I'm Dominic. I'm Abigail. And this is our podcast. Quan Kie. Tewan, which means um, connection with or among, among the, the people. people. There we go. <laughs> uh, in both Korean and Nawa. Um, yeah. And today we're going to be talking about the book uh, Between the World and Me, written by Tanahisi Coates. Yeah, so we really wanted to focus on the idea of the dream, which is originally introduced on page 11 of Between the World and Me. And he describes it as this. I have seen that dream all my life. It is perfect houses with nice lawns. It is Memorial Day cookouts, block associations, and driveways. The dream is tree houses and Cub Scouts. The dream smells like peppermint but tastes like strawberry shortcake. And for so long, I have wanted to escape into the dream, to fold my country over my head like a blanket. But this has never been an option for me because the dream rests on our backs, the bedding made from our bodies. And knowing this, knowing that the dream persists by warring with the known world, I was sad for the host. I was sad for all these families. I was sad for my country. But above all, in that moment, I was sad for you. Um, to explain the last part of that sentence, he is writing this book to his uh, son. Uh, and throughout the book, Between the World and Me, he describes what it means to be black in America and the experiences he's had and the experiences of other black people. And... How your body can be broken at any point no matter what you've achieved yeah and really he's talking in these in this book how like black people can never pursue the dream yeah which more concretely as the oxford english dictionary puts it is the ideal that every citizen of the united states should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work determination and initiative which is pretty immediately incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean... I mean, it's correct in the way that our country, America, was built with the idea that black people are not people. Yeah. Know, they are not citizens here. Because, I mean, obviously, we can look at the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution where it says all men are created equal. Yes. But... Really, <laughs> that's true when black men are not considered men. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> only three fourths of a person. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, and also about the about the dream. It's it's really sad because part of the thing is you know black people can't pursue it, but also as children of immigrants, we want to talk about what the dream means to people who are immigrants. Yeah, and do you want to go first? You can go ahead, because you have more experience with, like... <laughs> yeah, so... Um, your family believing in the dream. Yeah. When my family first came to the U.S., uh, they had, I think, $100 in the bank account. Wow. They um, were running from the Korean government because my grandfather mm -hmm. was the... Um, he published a news article talking about the corruption that was seeping into the Korean government and oh, was wow. pursued for that. So... Um, and then they came after his family, which was why my grandmother had to move as well. Um, and so they came to this, they, they were living in um, an apartment in a closet, and they were all living in one room, mm -hmm. all four of them. And it was really hard for them originally, but they always, but they kept fighting for it, as my grandmother says, because they knew America was supposed to be better. Yeah. And I think really, um, it was, it did end up working out for them. They lived in a very affluent neighborhood mm -hmm. and they were partly surrounded by their culture. But I think mm -hmm. what they definitely lost 
was because they succeeded, they lost a lot of that culture. Because as soon as they moved out of the poor neighborhoods and moved immediately into a white Jewish community, <laughs> yeah. um, my like they lost a lot of that like Korean culture because my mother, she always talks about this, but she she took um, clarinet lessons and Korean dance lessons from mm-hmm. in the Korean New York community. And she always had to bus and she was always busing alone because she lived so far away. So she did not get that Korean community experience yeah. when she was young. And I think she definitely feels like that didn't tie her to her culture, culture as much because even though she spoke Korean at home and she had like both of her parents were Korean, it's different than being surrounded by like a community of people yeah. who are Korean. Yeah, I mean, like in the case that <laughs> assuming that the American dream does exist and is yeah. real, it's still like would in this case it requires you to assimilate. It requires yeah. you to be traditionally American, exactly, and to set aside all that's important to you and embrace what's important to quote unquote Americans. Yes, right? yeah. <laughs> and we were also talking about earlier how um, really the American dream can only be pursued when you're not in white people's way Mm -hmm. and i think a big part of that culture why asian women are so tied to salons Mm -hmm. and laundromats and convenience stores is because that is immediately like you you are not getting in their way it's yeah it's something if anything you're just serving them yeah exactly (laughs) like so that's how my grandmother was actually able to become affluent was because she had a, a nail salon business she went to beauty school with those 100 dollars yeah. they had and she built a life for them yeah but that doesn't mean it didn't come at a cost yeah when you look at like people who are like let's say asian american as we've been discussing asian mm-hmm. americans um when you see them who are uh trying to pursue something quote unquote greater right yeah. like let's uh, i i'm not here to judge what is greater or not greater than but in the eyes of uh, American elites, you would consider it greater to pursue business yes. and greater to pursue uh, innovation. When you yeah. look at that, that's when America starts viewing you as a threat and not just a servant, right? Yeah. So you'll see, like, especially if you're looking at like Chinese immigrants, there are several CIA docs that just go over how they can weaponize xenophobia. Yeah. Right. It's just like at that point you become a threat and once you're a threat they want you out right they don't the american dream doesn't want you to succeed actually if you are not white they want you to succeed enough to serve them and serve the country and not get in white america's way yeah (laughs) actually um in my aapi class when Mm -hmm. we were talking about the original um asian immigrants that came Mm -hmm. the original uh, asian immigrants were chinese labor workers yeah and um that was when the Chinese Exclusion Act came in. Uh-huh. And but even before the Chinese Exclusion Act, there was this act that said Chinese women could not enter the country mm. because they were afraid that Chinese women or well in the document it said they were afraid mm-hmm. that Chinese women would be prostitutes and would bring yeah. dishonesty into the American community, which it's yeah. it's always like they even in our past, people like immigrants, people of color have always been something so strangely that what america is afraid of yeah and you see that like even with like the fear of like interracial relationships for such a long time even now to some extent though it's less of a largely accepted like communal ideal is just that people really fear it because there's this idea that it would taint white america and it would taint a white lineage yeah and 
so you just see that so prevalently like in American society just this fear of other and this idea that whiteness is pure and yeah they cannot allow anything else in to yeah. taint it and I think yeah so tying it back to the American dream mm-hmm. I feel like that's really what like Coates is talking about here because he's talking about this idea that people of color cannot achieve the yeah. actual the dream and when he he also goes on to mention how mm-hmm. black bodies can just be taken at any point they can be broken and yeah. how white people are just shielded and protected from that yeah and i think that's a part of the american dream is you're just living in this bubble mm-hmm. that white people own basically mm-hmm. and entering that bubble means you are assimilating with white cult like white american culture yeah because there's no other way you can enter that bubble of like, and even then you don't really enter it exactly you are still breakable yeah you know you are still until you are like unless you are you stay forever out of white america's way and you stay forever just like silent and serving and doing what you can to take care of yourself and your family and hopefully even do a little more right maybe get a nice house but still not get in the way like <laughs> you were like, you know, you're still breakable. Like, yeah. if you were doing that, even then, you were still breakable by police, by the government, by any white person who doesn't yeah. like you. And if you get out of that and you do even more and you try and you try and succeed, you're even more breakable. Yeah. You know? Think about how many, like, exclusion acts there have been mm-hmm. against immigrants and people of color especially we were just talking about how classism defines also this dream yes and um and you know there's so much history behind redlining and you know it's it really just keeps people of color out of this dream yeah right like out of white neighborhoods out of accessing wealth voting definitely all of this all of those resources good schools um good education programs yeah. and it's it's all this like cycle that just keeps people of color especially black people also from not being able to achieve that dream yeah in in between the world and me uh coates chooses very interesting examples of the breakable black body right he yes. does not choose a poor black person being beat by white cops right yeah. like that is all too common right but the people he chooses is he will focus on the black cops who beat, right? Because they're finding power in this and they know they must assimilate. And that's also something you see in uh, other books. I read uh, Asada's autobiography and she talked about how since she was raised somewhat like middle class, um, despite being black, her family had this very strong prejudice against like quote-unquote dirty black people right yeah. people who were poor people who spoke like quote-unquote like black people right yeah. but and she talks about how she had to overcome that and change how she viewed that but I think that it's pretty interesting that he talked about that and he also talked largely in this book about Prince Jones yeah um, a man who went to Howard with him uh, and how he was murdered just mm-hmm. without a care right and how despite the fact that he had seemingly made it right he made it out of 
out of West Baltimore or wherever he was from. I don't remember if he was from the same areas, Coates yeah. or not. But he PG County, right? Is that where he was from, though? I'm not sure, but that's where he drives to yes, to yes. talk to his mother. So he, wherever he was born in, like they made it out, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Coates talks to Joan's mother in the book, and she says she she worked her ass off and she got <laughs> out of the neighborhood she was born into, and she had a jeep waiting for him on his 16th year, whenever yeah. he, when he got his license. And that was the same Jeep he was killed in, right? Like, the fact that he made it out of this uh, lower class did not make his body unbreakable. And if they had been even more wealthy, there's a chance that they might have even gotten justice for his killing. But is it real justice if he was killed? Yeah. Right? If it, if it was real justice, is it real justice? One, if he was killed at all. And two, if he was killed and there was a question about whether the cops would be punished. Yeah. Right? Like, any of this. And yeah. it is so there's this idea that like with class does there comes privilege but it's still not the same if despite that privilege your body is breakable yeah <laughs> and that also um reminds me of like how because my mom for for a period of time did mm-hmm. grow up very poor mm-hmm. as most immigrants like do when they come to the u.s mm-hmm. there's this thing of and wanting to protect your like their children's bodies as we see in the book also oh, yes. when he talks it's about very... how his father beat him so the police wouldn't yeah it's very possessive yes love very possessive love. and I think my mother she does that also mm-hmm. she wants me to follow this exact same path as her because she thinks it's the only way to succeed yeah. because she has seen people in her in that community that she grew up in fail and not succeed and go even further into poverty yeah because of just being born immigrants and not coming from yeah wealth. whether it's falling into drug use yeah exactly so, which is so prevalent here and if we look at the war on drugs we see that it is fueled by yeah. our government not tried to change you know yeah or not i don't know how to say that for some reason but not there's no effort made yeah to help assist it's just criminalized yes and Um. yeah i think that's i think it's a huge part because i definitely related to that part in the book where it was talking about how your parents gave you that tough love because of how the world works for people of color because i would just like this intense fear of like if i don't beat my child so like the cops will yeah and i would rather kill my child myself than ha- watch the yeah. cops kill them right? yeah like, definitely i was taught growing up and even still to this day that i cannot cry yeah. because that's a sign of weakness and anybody who sees me because i am a woman and because i am not white mm-hmm. presenting i i mean i'm not white yeah but <laughs> you're, I, you're I am, definitely I'm, not fully white <laughs> yeah I, but i'm i'm biracial so my dad is white and my mom is korean mm-hmm. but i do not present as white no. and so um like just my mom talking about how I cannot cry because people will see that as a weakness. Yeah. I, it, it's just like ingrained in me now that I cannot cry in public. I cannot show emotion. Yeah. Because people will take that as a sign of weakness and I will not be able to succeed. Which is definitely a part of how she grew up. Yeah. Because she thinks that any sign of emotion will be seen as weakness and that I will not be able to succeed because that is what she grew up experiencing because mm-hmm. she was a woman of color. Yeah, for sure. 
I have a very interesting experience with my family, especially on my dad's side, because although they're immigrants, they were higher caste in India. I don't know how, like, obviously, quote, the, supposedly the caste system had been abolished, right? But yeah. it's very, very socially prevalent. I wake up early every morning and she would walk to school, take her, her siblings to school. She would do school, she would come back. She would uh, help her siblings with their homework. She would do her own homework. She would clean the house and cook. She would go to bed at like 5 a.m. after doing everything she needed to do. And then she would wake up again, not 5 a.m., 1 a.m. And then wake up at 5 a.m. the next day and do it again. But despite all this like difficulty she experienced, she still came to the U.S. with like a fair amount of money. She went to law school. Um, her arranged husband, my grandfather, uh, came here and became a like doctor and basically ran medicine for like a decade in Irvine. And so they were very privileged and they had a lot of money. Um, but you still see that even despite that, there's this like something they had to sacrifice for it. Like I remember I wore, uh, I wore like, I forget what it's called, but just like a very, like an Indian skirt. And I think it was supposed to be with the rest of a sari, but I didn't wear the rest of the sari for like a culture week last year. And I sent a photo to my grandma, my dati, and she said, she said all these things. She's like, oh, you look beautiful. But then she also told me she was like, I, she was like, you are so brave. And I always told uh, my, her husband, my grandfather, that one day I would wear a sari to court. And you see this like fear of engaging with yourself because you still need to protect yourself. Yeah. And yeah, there's just like a lot of, there's some more interesting things that I don't want to share just because it's not my stories, my story to share. But there's, um, yeah, there's just a lot there where it's like, even if you are privileged, you are still forced to quiet yourself and yeah. be somewhat ashamed of it or at least pretend to be ashamed of it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> These things about you. And yeah, I mean, definitely. There's so much and so much of this dream is also um class. Mm -hmm. Because like Dominic was saying, even though um like there's even though because Dominic's family was more privileged in that way they had more money. Yeah. There was still that like aspect of um they could not fully pursue that dream. Yeah. Even though they were very wealthy. Yeah, let alone on my mom's side, which was like yeah. Mexican immigrants. Well, half Mexican immigrants, half uh Argentinian immigrants, though they were technically Lithuanian. <laughs> um and forced out of Lithuania due to war, displaced. But um they were not wealthy, you know. My grandparents on that side met, like, working at LAX together, you know, and lived on, yeah, they were just kind of making it through, but, like, just regardless of any of that, you have this need to, to be as, it's weird, because they're, they're not white presenting at all, you know, like, my grandparents on my dad's side can't pass for white, but they still have to pass for white culturally. Yeah. You know? I would also say, um, yeah, it's so weird because I, right, like I said, I am biracial, so my father is white, mm -hmm. and I get to see these two different sides because he was white, but he did grow up in poverty, so his yeah. family has severe drug issues, mm. and I mean, I won't go that into it because obviously it's very personal, Yeah, but 
definitely that per that being able to pursue that dream is such like a money thing <laughs> it's that thing that's like he was obviously much more sheltered than my mother was because of he was he was a white cis man yeah so, um he had all of this privilege and he was able to pursue the dream to an extent yeah but he also was surrounded by poverty growing up and sure that definitely is an aspect of the american dream like being able to live in i guess that bubble which he he was i mean he was obviously a part of but he didn't like i said yeah. he did grow up his with a lot of like drugs and surrounding him and then there's also this other idea that it's not just one bubble right like there's yeah so many, yeah and here comes intersectionality right <laughs> there, <laughs> there are so many bubbles there's so many things that you can be a part of and not a part of that give you privilege and take away privilege right like uh, like I'm disabled and if I were more disabled I would just have such a hard time in society there are so many disabled people I know who cannot participate and in America right because we're so capitalist if you cannot produce if you cannot add to society in a way that they consider helpful right by making money contributing to the economy you are useless and that's a really big thing and we don't really think a lot about disa disability in general in like um, America Thank you, Car. Um, we don't really think a lot of uh, disability in America, but it is just such a difficult thing because you are just discarded, you know? Mm -hmm. And because healthcare is so expensive and so inaccessible, mm -hmm. like you aren't working because you can't work because your health is bad, but then you can't pay to fix your health because you're not working because your health is bad. And you get into this just just ruthless cycle of like pain and getting worse and no one really caring right like yeah and you lose a lot of people too like i'm not even saying just the system doesn't care a lot of friends and family don't care enough yeah to stick around either they care either they care vigorously or they care very little you know with that kind of situation and so that's just one other like aspect that you can be privileged or not privileged in mm -hmm. and there's like that and there's queerness and there's gender identity and among people of color there's black people and indigenous people and every other like non-black or indigenous person of color and all of these different dynamics and racism you experience um because right like i have seen so many racist mexican people <laughs> not all against even everyone else but just each other and then you see that from like from black people too right like there's so much internalized racism there and racism and, against others and also asian people actually yeah. my friend there's she, so much racism there's in just asian so communities. much yeah like it's so much <laughs> it's crazy i could only really speak to indian communities but <laughs> something i know definitely um i mean there's always this like um i mean i'm not going to get too into it because this is, we're still trying to focus on the american yes. dream but korea korea is like big plastic surgery industry yeah the biggest surgery is the double eyelid surgery mm. and i mean that was definitely i mean yeah. you can argue otherwise but that was definitely brought on by westernization in korea yeah. and right. and those beauty standards are european so. and also wanting to have really light skin it's yeah. obviously it's also a class thing of wanting to have really light skin because mm -hmm. people who are rich you know they don't spend as much time outside and all that stuff mm, but i didn't think about that <laughs> <laughs> um but also it's like I think especially now, when Koreans come to the U.S., 
I mean, I went to a, you know, immersion school, and I would all the Korean mothers had like bee suits on to protect their white skin. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I would say that's definitely a Western realization yeah. of stuff. Um, and and in, like, I'm I know about skin bleaching in Indian, and also like literally every single everywhere community of dark color. Skinned. Exactly. <laughs> Anywhere there are dark skinned people, there is skin bleaching, and it is so sad you know yeah and wanting to have blue eyes mm -hmm. it's like oh anyway but it's that assimilation that is like this dream that Coates is talking about right yeah. like wanting to be in the like the, bu the bubble that the american dream creates it's yeah. like you want to be a part of this community because look at everything that they have i mean yeah. we're sitting in south pass yeah um and we're and like this is obviously i mean I, I mean, I'm just guessing that it's full of a lot of peop white people. Yes. And it's a lot of white people, a lot of Asian people, like yeah. East Asian especially. Yeah, definitely. People in South Pasadena. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I mean, there's just, there's so much that comes with that. But it's like, South Pasadena is literally the nicest neighborhood I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> oh, life. Oh, yeah. And, like, it's, I feel like, in at least LA at least mm -hmm. it kind of represents that American dream for me because I mean I obviously grew up very privileged I have a house and all this stuff but and yeah. like I can get food whenever I want to um but it's it's also like South Pasadena is that place that like it it looks like somewhere where I'd want to live yeah but it's like so green yeah right? which is a very very privileged thing in America yeah. it's very green there's tons of trees lining every street. There are big lawns, which are, of course, very privileged and also should not exist. Yeah. Because they take so much water for no reason. Yeah. Uh, and huge houses, and they all look so pretty and different, and there's so many styles, and they're just all over. And there's, like, a cute little, like, uh, like shopping district, and there's so many, like, nice food places, and you can just get anything you want, you yeah. know? It's, like, it's peak America <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's also this, like, nice little suburban community that's yeah. close to the city, so you can commute well, but it's also, like, a little bit isolated, and it's, like, a, it's, like, its own gated community, but there's no gates. Yeah. <laughs> Just trees. Just trees. And it's, it's, like, and I feel like it's definitely that white picket fence. Mm -hmm. Tastes like strawberry shortcake, but smells like peppermint, kind yeah. of. Kind of neighborhood. Yes, and definitely. It, I feel like it's one of the best representations of, of the American dream because everybody wants this. Everybody wants yeah. to live in a nice neighborhood like this, have access to a great ed public education school. Oh yeah, we have just like the most amazing like elementary schools and pretty good middle schools and high school so so, but <laughs> <laughs> it just gets progressively a little bit worse. But it's still like, our high school is like far from the worst in LA, yeah. you know? Like despite it being like kind of subpar compared to like the other schools here, it is just like, so incredible when you look at it in like the scheme of like all of the different high schools that you could go to in LA yeah, you know yeah and it's so like it's just so interesting because you know like we were saying this this is the American dream who wouldn't want to live here it's that kind of that neighborhood just screams that it's just yeah. like yeah I mean, I have to say, I've been, ever since we've started this conversation, I've been looking at the people who have been walking by us, and I, I mean, I mean, I don't want to, maybe there are, you know, 
hiding people of color, but I just... <laughs> <laughs> no, there's definitely a lot of white people. Here. Yeah, a lot, a lot of white people. <laughs> I love that you said that as like some people were walking by. You're like, how am I gonna say this? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I need to finish the sentence. Yeah, um, but I don't know. But it, it's right, like yeah, like Coach is saying that American dream. It's it's such like a privilege to be able to even live in California because, I mean. So I don't want to it's so expensive <laughs> and I mean god I wouldn't want to live anywhere else right now yeah um because I mean it's bad but look at everywhere else it's kind of not US, bad you're like in the U.S. it's pretty rough right now especially with all this like sexist and anti-trans oh legislation and just you know I don't know actually of any like like race-based legislation that has Look come at, out recently mississippi's doing pretty bad though oh. there was that whole thing about how um because it was coming under so much black power mm. um people wanted to come in and take that power so there's this whole water crisis there oh, wow. in jackson and yeah, people yeah, wanted to come that. in and like take take like the power there <sighs> and it's it's like yeah it's like we're so sheltered from that in california it's really nice i have to say because when yeah. i was doing my civil rights tour in the south i just saw how different it was so okay another part of aspect of the american dream is like being able to do whatever the hell you want anytime mm -hmm. and you know i when we were having a poetry night when i was on the civil rights trip mm -hmm. i don't know if i've told you about this you yet. did not tell me about this but do you we were want having to explain a, a tiny bit about what your civil rights yes. tour was so my southern <laughs> civil rights tour was this um it was a tour of the southern like confederate areas mm -hmm. and seeing how slavery had formed into racism mm -hmm. there well i mean it was obviously always <laughs> racist but like how it still affects commu black communities there yeah and um like we were touring like um plantations there and um and like black owned businesses and all of this stuff and how they had struggled and and also learned so much about police brutality there, yeah. marches, Martin Luther King. We went to the place where he died, the room. Oh, wow. We stood in the room where he died. Wow. And it was crazy. Yeah. But we had, so anyway, so then the second day there, we went to see the Emmett Till Museum, which mm -hmm. was really hard. And then we went to see the Martin Luther King Museum. And that was also really hard because it talked, I mean, it wasn't just about Martin Luther King. It was a civil rights museum. It was the yeah. National Civil Rights Museum. But it was also um, a couple days after the, um, after his, like, assassination date. So mm. they were very focused on, like, Martin Luther King aspect there. Yeah. For that. Because it was the week that he was assassinated. Yeah. And so um, it was mostly stuff about him. But it was just so hard. That day was really hard. So we had a poetry slam that night mm -hmm. to help everybody express their feelings through writing mm. and we That's were having wonderful. this whole yeah it was really nice and we had this whole um session about that so there was a presentation about what poetry meant to black people in black communities mm. um Absolutely. especially in slavery yeah uh before we started our poetry slam mm -hmm. and there was this table next to us mm -hmm. white people and they were talking over the presentation oh and it was so infuriating to me i wrote a poem about it mm. and um my poem was called the table next to us and mm. it was basically <laughs> i love it and it was in, and in my poem poetry i called them ignorant and my last line i think was um i said i am a person i am not my feelings mm. 
but you are adults and you are not your ignorance. Mm. And because they were, there was a woman who went up, that, that last line came from this woman who went up and she was the concierge at the hotel desk mm-hmm. and she did poetry slams every mm. night at a local cafe. Mm. And she wrote this poem about um, being a broken record and they started to talk over her so loudly that you couldn't hear her and then she just continued to talk over them until they shut up wow and it was so powerful but then they also talked over every other single person who went after her and they and the people at my and i was about to go up because i was getting so mad at this point and my counselor turns to me and says you cannot say that poem because this is a free carry state and they will they can shoot you wow and like just that really was like I was like oh my god if I go up there saying this poem will endanger my life and not only my life but because we were in a group of literally all people of color yeah I'm endangering everybody else's lives yeah and I just thinking about that yeah thinking about how and also in relation You're to just the dream bound to not express it exactly because if you do you put everyone in danger exactly and it just keeps you subjugated exactly <laughs> and and I, and in that moment, I think I, because in California, we are pretty sheltered from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because our like gun laws are stricter. We don't worry for our lives, exactly. you know? I mean, obviously, I mean, there's been do, a lot to of, an like, extent, But yeah. we don't worry to our lives to that extent. We're like, you know. Yeah. And, I it's mean, not something we think about regularly to that yeah. extent. Yeah. If anything, you might think about school shootings a lot here. But yeah. But it's... Or you think about being killed another way. But I don't really, t- I don't tend to be like, oh, what if I just get shot? Like yeah. walking around exactly. or doing something. And I was literally, <laughs> I was scared for my life in that moment because I had this just realization where I was like taken out and I was like, that could actually happen to me. These yeah. people could actually have guns. These people can take my body from me. Yeah. And I think that really relates to Coates' talk about the dream, because the dream is really being able to do whatever you want. Yeah. It's being able to do whatever you want with no consequences to any person of color at any time. Yeah. And, right, like, it's that bubble of protection. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it was just so, like, it was just crazy. And, right, like, how he talks about your body can be taken from you at any time. Yeah, and you just felt if it. If you're not outside of the dream, I, I literally felt it. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I changed, the, I changed the title of my poem. And I went up there and I said it. And they said, don't make eye contact with anybody at the table. But I was just so mad, and righteously so, yeah. that I made eye contact with every single person at that table while I was telling that poem. And in that moment of, like, having that bravery to do that, yeah. Everybody afterwards told me you're so brave for going up and saying that. And I'm like, why do I have to be brave? Yeah. Why do I why is that considered bravery when I was just doing the right thing? Yeah. Because I could have literally been shot that day. Yeah. For... And there's that fear of knowing that like not only you could have been shot, but exactly. Else could have been exactly. Shot for that. My friends could have been shot because I have to say everybody on that trip, with the exception of like four people, including myself, was black. Yeah. So I was fearing for their lives, but at the same time, I wanted to protect them because I have that, you know, I have that little bit of an edge. I mean, yeah. I would call it an edge, but yeah, I, I would mean. say, like, I, we're not, we're have. not, yeah, I have a privilege that they don't have. And yeah. that, like, 
wanting to protect them from all of that needing to protect my friends who were trying to express their feelings in a supposedly safe place when people white people were talking over them it was just such a surreal moment of like oh my god yeah this has been happening for centuries i need to say something yeah and it was just this insane moment but that i mean it really struck a chord with me that like your body can be taken from you at any time because that was the moment when i realized it can yeah it's a whole other thing to know it than to feel it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's like... And he talks about this, that... Coates talks about this, that you... If you are black specifically, but if you are a person of color, you can't separate yourself from your body. Like, despite religion, despite that, like, you are your body. Yeah. Because you your ability to even live is so tied to your body. Yeah. And everything about, like, how you move through this world is your body. You know? I know. Like, you aren't just your body, right? You, and... It's something I see a lot of trans people talk about. They're like, I'm not my body. And I'm like, yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so much that... Uh, there's so much that's tied to it and so much that it affects. And, yeah, and then because of who we are, our bodies can be taken from us. And yeah. And that's just how it is. And Yeah. I mean... like, things we can do. Yeah. But <laughs> not immediately. Yeah, like I was... Not easily. Like I was saying, even though I'm half white and half Korean... And I still present like I am Asian, though. Yeah. Um, it's very been a very different experience to see how my brothers navigate this world rather than me. Because, because I mean, like, for... I, I think now that they've grown up a bit, you can definitely see that they are Asian. But they looked but more they white. But they looked more white when they were younger. Yeah. And I had a lot of different experiences than them because, because of how I looked. Yeah. I was at school. I mean, there was, I think, one other person who was Asian yeah and um I mean obviously I went to an immersion school first but when I moved to Mm -hmm. a white school um that was very different my friend actually one of my friends was not allowed to hang out with me because I was Asian yeah looking back on it now that's the reason why she was my best friend but she wasn't allowed to come to my birthday parties we weren't allowed to have play dates yeah I wasn't allowed to come to her house I wasn't allowed to talk to her mother because her mother was afraid of me because I looked Asian. And um, I was made fun of for having different lunches. Yeah. I was made it's fun of for experience. my... Yeah. yeah, I know. I was made fun of so for how my eyes looked. Yeah. And I was definitely made fun of for... Because we had a cultural presentation. And I was talking about my family tree. Mm-hmm. And um, kids literally um, would make fun of because I came in a hanbok which is um a Korean a classic Korean like um dress yeah and they told me that I looked stupid because of my like how I came dressed yeah because they were like oh and they told me that my dress wasn't as pretty as a kimono um and I was like oh this is interesting (laughs) and I went to my brothers at lunch this day and my brothers didn't think it was weird because they had Korean dress too right and so they were just like oh you know this is this is normal but literally nobody knew my brothers were my brothers because they looked white and I looked Asian so when I sat down with them at lunch they were like those are who are they like um why were you sitting with them at lunch and I was like oh they're my brothers and they're like they're your brothers yeah and they're like oh are you adopted I I wasn't adopted yeah (laughs) um yeah um 
Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's so, it was such a different experience for me. I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah. I'm really, yeah. I'm really thankful we got to read this book. I think it changed yeah. a lot of, not really changed a lot, but I think it brought to light uh, thoughts and emotions definitely, I didn't know I had. Definitely, definitely. Or I hadn't really specifically acknowledged, and I think yeah. it gave me a lot. I was uh, Toni Morrison is right in her blurb that this is required reading. Yeah, you know? yeah. Not that it should be, it is, you know. Yeah. Like, if you don't read it, if you haven't read it, I guess, change that. Yeah. If you don't read it, you're wrong. <laughs> it's required. I know it is required. <laughs> it should be required. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am really glad we got to read this book and have this discussion about it. I think it's a very important discussion to have. Definitely. Um, and everyone should be having these kinds of talks with the people around them to learn more about themselves and the world and how they interact with the world. And yeah. <laughs> this was a great discussion. We're Kwan Kye. Taiwan. And thank you for listening. Bye.